Have you ever been double booked? I mean, have you ever had two invitations come in for separate events taking place at the same time? And you've had to choose between them. I'm sure you have. We've all been in this position at some point. Normally it comes because we receive an invitation from some friends and from some family. Or there's two birthday parties happening on the same night. Or a church event clashing with a work one. When these double bookings occur, how do we decide which invitation to accept? Perhaps it comes down to who the invitation is from. Perhaps it comes down to what the invitation is for. Or maybe we resort to rather lower forms of selection. Where will the best food be served? Where will the most interesting people be attending? Which is the best place for me to be seen by others? We get the picture. How do we go about making sure that we accept the right invitation? Over the last 10 weeks, we as a church together have been studying the introduction to Proverbs. And today that introduction closes with two contrasting invitations from two contrasting hosts. The question is, which invitation will we choose to accept? And how will we go about making our decision? In our lives today, we regularly come across many different sources of advice. Just think about this list for a moment. We regularly get offered instructions from family members, friends, colleagues, teachers, politicians, doctors, newspapers, newsreaders, Google, magazines, blogs, social media, and of course, the occasional religious leader like me banging on from a pulpit of some description. In 21st century Britain, we encounter a whole multitude of idea merchants, agenda pushers, and spiritual gurus. We're bombarded by them on a daily basis. But how do we go about choosing who we're going to listen to? But let's be honest for a moment. The only reason that this question is actually worth bothering about at all is because we as human beings do actually need advice at times. There are occasions where we come to the end of ourselves and we need help. We need input from somebody else, somebody who is beyond us or greater than us. I think of tricky seasons at work, challenging colleagues. I think of those complex family scenarios and the relationships that need attending to. I think of difficult career and financial decisions. I think of those friends that we're concerned about and our non-Christian relatives. I think of all those opportunities that come our way and we're uncertain whether to take them or not. As human beings, we all need advice at times, even the oldest, strongest, richest, cleverest of us. Who do we go for guidance in these situations? And when it comes, how do we know we can trust it? Over the last 10 weeks, we have discovered that Proverbs is a book of wisdom. 
And in chapter 9, as its introduction comes to a climax, Proverbs presents this dilemma that we're thinking about today as a stark and direct choice. When the challenges of life come our way, we either choose wisdom or we choose folly to lead our response. Proverbs 9 is a poem. It pictures wisdom and folly as two women calling out into the busy city streets. All men and women regularly hear their contrasting invitations as they go about their daily business. But which will receive a positive response? Very cleverly, Proverbs 9 pictures woman wisdom and woman folly as offering an invitation to a meal. In the ancient Near East, to eat with someone was to form an intimate relationship with them. When people ate together, they became united. A strong, enduring bond developed. A relationship so personal, there was no way you could accept two invitations on the same night. And so it is with wisdom and folly. In life's great decisions, you choose either one or the other. You either respond to a challenge well, or you don't. You either make the most of your life, or you don't. You either seek out and accept good advice, or you don't. There's no halfway house. You cannot remain double booked forever. Eventually, a choice has to be made one way or the other. And of course, Proverbs wants us to choose wisdom. So a natural question now comes to us all. How do we recognise wise advice when it's given to us? How do we distinguish it from the folly that many other sources in our world today peddle towards us? Well, Proverbs seems to suggest that wisdom can be seen in the character of the person who offers it and in the evidence of their lives. Let's for a moment compare the invitations offered by woman wisdom and woman folly in this chapter. We begin with woman wisdom, verses 1 to 6. Wisdom has built her house. She's set up its seven pillars. She's prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She's set her table. She sent out her servants and she calls from the highest point of the city that all who are simple come into my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food, drink the wine I have mixed, leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. So what is the character of woman wisdom? Well, clearly she's hardworking and industrious. The opening verses tell us that she built her own house, she prepares her own meal, she mixes her own wine, she sets her own table. She's a picture of calm and efficient activity. Woman wisdom is also clearly generous and hospitable. The house that she built is unusually large. I mean, come on, it has a seven-pillar portico on the front of it. This is a house for entertaining, a house that has room for everyone who chooses to come. And look at the food. It's her own food, her own drink that she's offering up. There's personal sacrifice being made here for the comfort and the delight of her guests. 
And finally, look at her intentions. They're all for the best. She invited people to come and join her so she can build them up and leave them better off than when she found them. She wants to school and to teach. She wants to pass on insight and lasting benefit. This really is a woman of the utmost moral character. And alongside this character also comes the evidence of success in her life. It goes without saying that she must be fairly affluent from the size of her house and the fare on her meal table. But we also know that she has many servants employed at her bidding. What this shows us is that woman wisdom has been successful at life. She's effectively produced results. She's developed skill in the face of life's challenges and has personally benefited. I don't know about you, but when I ask for advice from someone, I want to know that they have had some measure of success in the field that I need them to. I don't want a doctor who's killed all their patients or a mechanic whose own car doesn't work. But clearly with woman wisdom, this is not an issue. She is a person of outstanding character and has all the evidence of hard-won experience in her life that you could possibly ask for. So let's now compare her with woman folly. Her invitation is found in verses 13 to 18. Folly is an unruly woman. She's simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. So what do we make of woman folly's character and evidence of success? Well, it's the polar opposite, isn't it? Whereas woman wisdom was hardworking and generous and charitable in her intention, woman folly is lazy and unruly and ignorant. There's no evidence of any effort on her part at all. She didn't build her own house or make her own food. She stole it all. And apart from the petty loot of stolen food and water, she exhibits no evidence of success in life. In fact, all those who have previously spent time with her have lost out big time. Woman folly does not enhance your life. She takes it away. Her doorway is nothing less than a gateway to the grave. So here we have it then. Two contrasting invitations from two contrasting hosts. These invitations are made boldly, cried out into the city streets for all to hear, and every passerby must now make a choice. Which will they accept? You must take one or the other. You cannot take both. I hope we can see that this poem is trying to give us some very practical advice on the daily challenges we face in a world of many competing voices. When we need advice in our life, who can we trust? Who will guide us on our relationships? Who will guide us on our career choices and our finances? Who will guide us on all the myriad of daily decisions that we have to make? Many people will proffer their advice to us. Many people will peddle their wares. We need to become skilled at examining character and looking for evidence. Is this person speaking to me a diligent, hardworking person? Are they generous and hospitable and selfless? Or are they lazy and out for a quick buck for themselves? 
Does this person speaking to me show signs of previous success in the area I need? Does their advice come from a wealth of experience? Or are they just handing out platitudes? There is so much down-to-earth, real, wise advice here if we take the time to reflect on it. Advice that will help us almost every day of our lives. But of course, with those with eyes to see, there is so much more going on in this chapter. A much deeper level of meaning to the comparison laid out before us. What this passage is really about, as is the whole of Proverbs is that as human beings, we face a choice between the advice of God and the advice of idols. Did you notice where the two women place themselves in this poem? They place themselves at the highest point of the city. Now, what building occupies the highest point of Jerusalem, the city where Solomon was writing this book? There's only one building there. It's the temple. The residence of God on earth. In this passage, woman wisdom represents God. The advice she offers is God's guidance to his people. You know that mention of the seven-pillared house? Well, ancient Jewish rabbis around when Proverbs was written sometimes referred to the seven pillars of God's law holding up the world. In other words, this house is creation. All that God has made. Woman wisdom in this poem represents the creator, the sovereign of all that exists. The God whom in the Old Testament dwelt in the temple at the highest point of the city. And in this poem, woman wisdom sends out her servants into the world to call the people to her so she might teach them. In the Old Testament, God, time and time again, sent out his prophets and his priests and his kings to call the people to worship him, to teach them about who he was. Eventually, of course, this God would send his very own son to beckon the people into his house and his family. But the writer of Proverbs did not know that yet. What we see in woman wisdom is the creator and sovereign God lovingly offering out his wisdom to all humanity so that we might learn from it and live it and benefit from it. It's totally free. We are invited to read it in his word. So if woman wisdom represents God, who can woman folly be? She too is trying to set her house up at the highest point of the city. She too is calling out for the people's attention. Well, if you follow the imagery, woman folly must represent all those false gods and goddesses. All the idols made by human hands that are put in the place of the Lord. In Israel's day, those idols were the likes of Baal and Asherah. In today's world, they take all sorts of forms. Money, sex and power. Celebrities, influencers, sports stars. They take the form of those dominant secular ideologies. They take the form of any created thing put before God, receiving the worship and the attention that he deserves. The message of Proverbs, and indeed the whole of the Bible, is that if we accept God's loving invitation to us, if we follow his wise advice, we will thrive. 
We will discover the insight we need to live life to its fullest. After all, God is the creator. He knows how everything should work best. But if we turn from God, if we ignore his advice and put idols in his place at the highest point of our lives, we will not thrive at all. If we follow folly, we will lose out. Turn from the source of life and eventually death is what you are left with. So I hope we're now beginning to understand all the layers of meaning in this poem, but let me briefly summarise it for us once more. In life, we all face challenges. We all need outside help and advice at times. And as we face those challenges, we will hear many competing offers of guidance, often in polar opposite directions. We're all faced with a choice. Which way are we going to go? Who are we going to trust? And we need to base that decision on the character and the evidence of success in the life of the person that is offering the guidance to us. And ultimately in life, we will choose between wisdom and folly. We will choose between God, the creator, the source of all wisdom, and idols, earthly things, the source of folly. We must all make a choice. And the Bible with one voice urges us to choose God. Through the last 10 weeks of this series, we have discovered that the book of Proverbs was initially written to young men. Young men who just come of age and are about to enter the big wide world for the first time. And as we all know, adolescence is the time where men and women have to start taking responsibility for their choices. I want to finish this sermon by looking at the central verses of our reading that serve to highlight the reality of this choice. Let me read them to you, verses 7 to 12. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you're a mocker, you alone will suffer. You know, sometimes the way of wisdom is hard. It comes as a rebuke to what we're currently doing. We have to stop and change course as quickly as we can. Sometimes the way of wisdom invites mockery and scorn. Those who set out to follow the way of God often find themselves ridiculed by the world around them. As we've seen many times in the opening chapters of Proverbs, people fall for temptation and ignore the ways of God because they're out for short-term gains. But these verses tell us that if we're prepared to humble our pride and withstand the mockery of others, the ultimate benefits of God will far outweigh the short-term gains of our contemporaries. These verses tell us that if we keep to God's way, we'll become wise our character will change, we'll become righteous, we'll grow in knowledge and understanding. The quality of our life will be deepened and enriched. We truly will receive ample reward in this life and the next. And so it is for these reasons that we're urged to choose wisdom today.
right at the heart of this passage, we are reminded again where that pursuit begins. We find the key teaching that holds the whole of this book together. Wisdom begins when we choose to fear the Lord. When we hold him in awe and approach him with reverence and respect, eager to hear what he has to say to us. To fear the Lord is not just a one-off decision. It's a lifetime of making the same choice. Choosing God's way and accepting his invitation above any others. I think the verses we've looked at today form a powerful conclusion to the last 11 weeks of us studying together. But they also form a great link to Jesus. And with this, I want to very quickly finish. The Bible describes Jesus as the full embodiment of God's wisdom. When we look at his life, we see all of God's plans and purposes. We see all that God wants for us. Just like these two women, Jesus came into our world and offered us a glorious invitation. He didn't offer stolen water or secret food. He invited us to come to him and eat the bread of life and drink the water of life. If we come to Jesus, we'll never go hungry and we'll never go thirsty. If we come to Jesus, we'll receive the best advice we can get for this life and a promise for eternal life beyond it. Many people may scorn us for choosing Jesus, but it's the wisest decision we could ever make. Jesus has the greatest character ever known. He's powerful and kind, just and merciful, holy and loving. Jesus also has the best evidence to back up his claims. He's the only one who rose from the dead. So he's the only one that can truly offer us life. Jesus doesn't expect us to carry any prior qualifications. Like Lady Wisdom, he calls out to the simple, offering himself to them. As we finish this sermon, it's time for us all to make a choice. Let's choose wisdom above folly, God above idols. And let's choose Jesus with everything we've got and for every day of our lives.